Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Holy Heavenly Father, it would be an utter ruin to start anything, Lord, without petitioning Your Holy Spirit to come and fill us, Lord. What I cry out to You tonight as we look at this profile of a hypocrite, and most excitingly, Lord, the profile of a real disciple. Lord, would You be willing to graciously yet clearly grant us some warning about the hypocrite? And Lord, would You please visit us and show each one of us, Lord, how can I, in this day and hour, be a real disciple? And I pray that You would help each one of us, beginning with me, to be real with our own hearts in this. There's so much we don't know, even sometimes about ourselves. Yet, Lord, You understand everything. Lord, here we are. Fill us up. Don't let us off easy, Lord. We want the real path. I know it's narrow, Lord, and the gate is straight. Would You help us to walk there? I'm willing. But not because it's easy. Because, Lord, I know it's right and it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, Lord, just please show us that beautiful picture of a real disciple tonight. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> it's a truly a joy to get to stand before you for just a few minutes this evening. I'd like for you to go ahead and open your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> you can go ahead and find verse 41. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to explore a little bit, Lord willing, this profile of a hypocrite. What does a hypocrite really look like? What are some defining factors? What's it look like in my life, in your life? I went to numerous places to find a good, concise definition, and really I think the best one, as I boiled down the spirit of all the, the definitions, was just, it's just living, it's living a false identity. Um, maybe it's trying to be someone I'm not. Maybe it's... Um, I think the one that stuck with me the most, but again, I wanted to capture the spirit of all of them in this living a false identity, but a false appearance of virtue. And so I'd like to begin to, to tell you about a man, um, a hypocrite, 
that um, I knew him well, actually, and this has been some years ago, and I've had contact with him some recently as well, but it was interesting. This man was really good at um, doing some things. Like, for instance, um, growing up, I can remember he would always uh, really dress nice at times like church, and he'd come in, and he'd sit in the pew, and everything looked right, seemed right, and he gave his heart to the Lord outwardly and was baptized at, you know, a nice ripe age for that, and didn't put off the prompting of the Holy Spirit to, to turn and repent and to follow the Lord and be baptized. And, and uh, this young man would get compliments sometimes even to uh, his parents. And, and his parents would tell him, say, you know, I got a compliment on you the other day. I just want to tell you, keep it up. And... Um, this type of thing continued on, continued on in, in this man's life. And I don't need to go into all the details, but you kind of get the picture. You know, it's like everything looked so good. But inside it was full of dead men's bones. And that man was me. And I praise God that He has been working at delivering me from this deadly spirit of hypocrisy. I don't know if you can relate to that at all or not, but but this thing of being having a false appearance of virtue. It's like <laughs> I don't think I need to waste more time on that. I think you get the drift. Let's not try to appear like someone we are not. A hypocrite. First tonight, let's look at Luke 6, 41 and 42. What I want to do with this is I want to establish, if we can, a correct focus on, on this issue of being a hypocrite. And I believe that the, the correct focus is that we first have to consider ourselves. So let's read these two verses. Jesus is speaking here, and we don't have time to get the whole context, but obviously... Um, I think a lot of us are very familiar with the, with the context here. He says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either, how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! Can't cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. What I want out of those two verses is just this. We have to start with ourselves. And tonight is no exception. I want to encourage you with everything within me and with the Word of God to, to, to think about yourself tonight as the message goes out. Don't be concerned, Caleb, about Mason. Don't be concerned about the sister sitting beside you or someone back home or your brother or your sister that you're thinking about. Those may be noble thoughts. You may truly care for that person and maybe truly they have an issue in their life that needs dealt with. But tonight, we're concerned about our own heart. 
tonight we're asking the Lord, come in and take a look inside at home. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's start with ourselves. Now I want to give, um, there's only two points I want to make about this profile of a hypocrite. And they're going to be a few minutes down the road here. First, I just want to make some spiritual observations. Um, if you'll turn over now to 1 Timothy, I would like to make a, an observation here. Um, it's a, a sobering one. This is in the context of... Uh, okay, 1 Timothy 4, I'm sorry, verse 1. So if you'll turn there, we'll read a couple verses. And this, this is in the context of the last times there's going to be some people who depart from the faith. Okay? Let's read it. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly. Very plainly. The Spirit speaking very plainly. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, I'm not addressing you tonight as people who are in the last days departing from the faith, okay? And neither is it my heart to take that verse out of context. So, I'd like to propose this. If you at any point in your life, but bringing it home for now, if you tonight begin to see some of this, the etchings of this profile of a hypocrite in your heart, and you see some searing on your conscience, where you've just said, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with that. And the years go by. The warnings are not heeded. And that little searing on the conscience takes place. If God reveals to you some searing on your conscience tonight, I want to propose to you by this Scripture that the end of that will be departing from the faith. If you do not deal tonight with the seared conscience, if it's there. One thing we know about the people that depart from the faith in the last times, right? Is they will speak lies in hypocrisy. That is a mark of these people. Okay? And they will have a seared conscience. If you have a seared conscience tonight, I want you to consider that. Let's just take that verse backwards. Maybe there's some hypocrisy. Maybe that's why the conscience is seared. And eventually, if that's not dealt with, they'll be departing from the faith. I think that's a very clear warning out of Scripture. Let's consider that. Another scriptural observation I'd like to make is that in James chapter 3, verse 17, if you can go ahead and turn there, James 3, 17, um, this is about the wisdom that is from above, and the Scripture says there in James that um, every good and perfect gift cometh from above and uh, cometh down from the, the Father of lights in whom is no variable, neither sh shadow of turning, something like that. 
But in verse 17, it says the wisdom that is from above. So it's good and it's a perfect gift, right? Because it's from above and, and it's from this perfect, holy God. And, and this is the wisdom we want, right? It says it's, first, it's then peaceable, gentle. I'm sorry, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So, here it is, the Scripture again, speaking about hypocrisy. And the wisdom that we desire, right? God's perfect, holy wisdom that we must have if we're going to navigate life's course successfully is without hypocrisy. So if you have hypocrisy dwelling in your heart tonight, and you know it, Right? A lot of times we know it, don't we? Sometimes that scab, that seared scab's got to come off a little bit to see it. But if you have hypocrisy, if any of that is festering in your life tonight, I would like to propose to you that maybe, maybe somewhere we've been mentored by the worldly wise man. Because I can guarantee you that if the wisdom from above has no hypocrisy, then the wisdom from the earthly man, the devil, the worldly wise man, he'll mentor you in that wisdom. Oh yeah, he'll love to. And it'll be full of hypocrisy. It won't be real. Remember, he's the father of lies. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5. I'd like to give kind of a... Um, those were just some nuggets that I wanted to share with you. Highlighting this detail of hypocrisy. But this story, it's not a story really, it's an account of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1, really is quite a picture of playing the hypocrite. There's a lot of lessons to be learned here, and it seems like in, in preaching that these folks get beat up quite a bit. And in some way, rightfully so, but I would just like to humbly say, I don't know if I would have been much different. Um, I'm just, thank God that He's spared me. But let's learn some lessons here. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, I'll begin reading, we'll read a few verses. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira with his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price. <clears throat> his wife also being privy to it, and bought, I'm sorry, brought a certain part, a portion of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. <clears throat> but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie? Remember, he's the father of lies and he loves hypocrisy. 
And this worldly wise man here, Satan, he has filled Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remains, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, what was happening in the chapter before here, in, in, in the last part of chapter 4, and there was these people who were being moved by the Spirit to, uh, they were starting this new church, and it was exciting times, and they had been selling items and lands and houses and different things, and bringing that whole price and laying it at the apostles' feet for the furthering of the kingdom. Certainly noble, wasn't it? And, you know, we talk about that sometimes, like, how's that supposed to look today for you and I? But that's what they were doing. Scripture records it very clearly. So what we have here is Ananias and Sapphira decide, hey, that's a noble thing. I think I'll do the same thing. And they go and, and do it, don't they? They say, hey, we got this land. We don't have to have it. They obviously didn't, right? Because it was just land. It wasn't like they were living there. I mean, I guess maybe they had their tent pitched there, but they didn't have a house there, it doesn't say. It was just this land. In today's terms, let's just liken it like this. Let's say it's just a few acres and it's worth $80,000 today, okay? And they sold it and brought 70 or 75 maybe to the apostles and laid it at their feet. Now, doesn't that seem noble? What's wrong with that? I mean, isn't 75000 better than, than nothing? And um, so we begin to see this logic that could have been going on in their, in their mind. I really think it's important to go here and think about how this may have been. But they decided to just do part of it. Now, what's wrong with that? Look at verse 4. Peter's speaking. While it remained. So Peter's saying, Ananias, listen, while, while the land was, was still yours, right? Was it not yours? I mean, that's pretty obvious. When it was yours and the title was in your name and, and you had this piece of land, it was yours, right, Ananias? He's like, yeah. And after it was sold, verse 4 still, was it not in thine own power? So Ananias, you sold the land and it was still all within your own power. All that $80,000 just sitting there right there. You could have did whatever you wanted to do with it. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Now I'm looking into this just a little bit, but based on what the others had been doing, and now Peter says, hey, while it was yours, it was yours, obviously. And when you sold it, and the land went from land to cash, it was still yours. Now, why did you go and conceive this thing against the Holy Ghost, to lie against the Holy Ghost? So somehow, here it is. They wanted to look as noble as the folks that gave it all. But they still wanted to kind of keep back for themselves, yet look like they gave it all. I mean, have I ever been guilty for that? I don't even want to start trying to count the times. And so that is how 
And we see what happened. Ananias and Sapphira both fell down dead and they were both carried out by the young men and buried. This is serious business. God cares about no hypocrisy. I really think that it is fair to look at this account and get that clear lesson. God cares about no hypocrisy. I'd like you now to turn to Luke chapter 12. This is a Bible study, so I'll try to, or a Bible school, I'll try to have you turn with me as often as I remember. Luke chapter 12, verse 54, we'll start. And he said also to the people, When you see a cloud rise out of the west straightway, right away, you say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? I'd just like to make some observations there in those verses. Jesus is telling His hearers who He calls hypocrites. So He's talking. Jesus is actually talking to hypocrites here. And He says, you know, you can, you can be out there working and tilling your ground and you're, it's springtime and you're planting and all of a sudden here comes a a cloud bank in the afternoon starts forming in the west. I'm sorry, that's the west. Starts forming in the west and you see them thunderclouds get bigger and the lightning starts striking out of them. And I mean, you know it's time to get the seed into the ground and get the wood pile covered and, and get things in under the... It's just a matter of time. Maybe an hour, maybe only 20 minutes before that thing starts dropping rain. You see the cloud bank in the west and you say, there's going to be rain today. And so it is, right? It's an obvious observation. You wake up in the morning, he said, and you go out and <clears throat> you feel that warm uh, south wind blowing even before the sun comes up. And you know, man, it's going to be a cooker. And so it is, right? South wind starts blowing, we get warm. The warm front comes in. That's how obvious this is. And he says, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth but you cannot discern these times. And I don't know what all the times were right then. I, I wish that uh, that would probably be a, an amazing sermon in itself. But uh, I think about John the Baptist, <clears throat> who would have been on scene not very long before this, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight these paths in, in our heart. Repent. That was the message of John the Baptist, was to repent, to prepare your heart to receive the Messiah, right? It's that simple. He says, there's John, right down there, uh, or up there, wherever he was, girt in them leather clothes, and, and he's crying to repent. And you weren't listening. I think of Jesus Himself being there and, and the things He's said about Himself already at this point in, in His ministry and He's taught in the synagogues and, and on and on. The Messiah 
right in front of them. Just like that cloud bank and that south wind hitting their face. That close. And they can't discern it. It's easy for me to think about all of this that happened in Jesus' time and He was pretty hard on some of these guys and called them hypocrites right to their face. And I don't know about you, but I think it gets pretty close home. I don't know what's right in your face like that south wind tonight. I don't know how clear you can see something in your life just like that western cloud bank. Maybe someone's been crying, repent in your life. And you know you need to, but well, you know, dress up and go to church again. Yeah, everything's going great and yeah, pretty much and you know, we kind of put on these little fronts and I don't know how to wrestle through all this, okay? But I know that God in his word makes it very clear that there's no room for a hypocrite if we want to be a real disciple. Now, two points. Now, why did I make the observations and then just have the two points? Because the observations, I feel like, are more of a backdrop and then the points I really want to stick. Okay? And if you want to write this down... It's about all I'm going to say on this one. The point number one is it's real easy to be one. It's real easy to be one. It's easy to be a hypocrite, isn't it? It's the path of least resistance. And secondly, it's possible to escape today. Secondly, it is possible to escape today. Turn your Bibles, in your Bibles, to Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to start reading in verse 23, and I'm going to read quickly for about 10 verses. Because I don't want to miss this setting here. And I don't want to miss the emphasis that Jesus is putting on this issue of hypocrisy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, 
but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if it had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? So what's the biblical example of escaping? There's a problem here. Jesus has really indicted or indicted the, the hypocrites here in a big way. And He ends... With ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? It's a question. If you find yourself in hypocrisy tonight, how will you escape the damnation of hell? I mean, that is strong language. And that's what Jesus is actually asking the hypocrites and the scribes and Pharisees and these people in this context here. He's asking them, how will you It's a problem they're going to have to solve. How will you escape the damnation of hell? I want to exhort you tonight, if you you know there's hypocrisy in your life, there's a judgment for that. And it almost makes me cringe to even say it. I mean, but Jesus said it. He says, how? How will you escape that damnation of hell? What's the biblical example of escaping? By confessing and repenting. That's all I know to tell you. You know, there may be time this week, (laughs) maybe, there will be, and yet I don't want to bank on that because maybe I should go back with what I said. There may be. Because I don't know when the Lord Jesus is going to come back. But I know this. I'm not assuming anything on anyone. But if there is hypocrisy in any heart here, I beg you, get right with God tonight. Today is that time. Today we have opportunity. I don't know if tomorrow is going to come. I may not see tomorrow. You may not. We may all not. So how shall we escape the damnation of hell? And I would suggest it's just simply by confessing and repenting. Is it more complex than that? Jesus says, we've looked at a lot of Jesus' words, and I just want to follow up with a beautiful quip out of Revelations 3. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The profile of a real disciple (laughs) 
This one's really stirred me. I am excited about this. The profile of a real disciple. And what does that look like? I can tell you that if you... <laughs> I'm sure this is a problem with, with almost everyone that, that does any study on any subject in the Scripture. It's so full and, and overflowing. But if you want to have a real exciting study, go home and just study. What does a real disciple look like? I would highly encourage you to do that. Because this really blessed my life the first or the last few days. Um, I'd like to make a few observations. I, I do believe in this whole thing of discipleship, and I feel like I'm just terribly not the authority to be speaking on this subject. I just feel like I have so I know I have so much to learn. But it's a subject that's really close to my heart that um, I've been thinking a lot about in the last six months of my life, and it's something that I want to both engage in, this discipleship, from the giving perspective and from the receiving perspective. Does that make sense? So I want to be a man for the rest of my life, if God wills, to be discipled and be willing to disciple. And I see that uh, profile in real disciples. They are discipled and they do disciple. Does that make sense? All right. Anyway, um, and I've had to ask myself the question, why does it seem like there's so few um, people that seem engaged in this very disciplined, the root word of disciple, task. Why does it seem like it's just not happening in Christendom? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not trying to be the, the, gain, or the, uh, the naysayer here, but, but really, I mean, if you... How many people do you know in your life that are being discipled, and are discipling. Maybe I should ask you that. I feel like, at best, it's still not what it ought to be, right? And so there's a call for discipleship, and I've just had to wonder, you know, why isn't it? And, and maybe it's because there's been um, people like me who just sit around on the couch too long, and I've not inspired others. Maybe there's just a lack of inspiring examples, but that's no excuse, is it? Um, just because dad wasn't discipling you. I know that could, could strike pain in some hearts. Um, but just because your dad or your grandpa or your brother or, or someone in your life has not discipled you doesn't mean that we get to say, well, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. I just don't know what to do about it, so I'm just going to sit back and do what they did. I don't know. I don't think that's what we want. But there has been, possibly, in your life, a lack of examples that inspire. But that's not an excuse to not be one yourself or start today. I've also seen situations, um, some first-handedly and some just by observation, but where you get some kind of a flash-in-the-pan decision for Christ, you have an altar call, and I mean, they stream forward and praise the Lord, and we wrote the name on the roster, and, and I mean, the church membership's soaring, and things are growing and happening and booming, and I mean, look at all these disciples. Yet, maybe they want to be, but maybe they were just, maybe they were truly born again. But are they disciples? 
Are they, are they following Jesus day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision? Every time I think about something in my, quote, off times, right? I'm driving down the road and I'm like, yeah, I'm uh, thinking about this and I'm thinking about that. And then I think, oh, I'll listen to some music. You know, what kind of music am I going to put in? What kind of, um, uh, how am I going to talk with my friends when I get to my friend's house? And if they bring something up that doesn't feel quite right in my conscience, am I going to step up and be a witness of the truth? I mean, I know there's just so many implications, but my heart is that we see the need for real disciples. Um, and there's been a lot of noble intentions, but have maybe folks with noble intentions have turned to wrong and unbiblical methods, and that's not a reason to not do this either. So I just wanted to kind of get some of that off um, off my chest there at the beginning. Um, I would like to to highlight with this real disciple detail that our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the ultimate discipler, okay, the one who will show us how to be a real disciple. I'm going to use my imagination a little bit, but but I see him in heaven. I don't know how all this worked out, right? But uh, Somehow the God, the Father, it's His will and, and the Son and all that relationship, how that was working, I don't know, but I see Him setting down and, and charting a course. I'm going to go to this, this earth, this place where my Father has given rain, or given this, this earth, um, the dominion of it to, to Satan. You know, and I'm going to enter right into his territory, and he's not going to like it. And and my goal is going to be to make disciples, right? So, people that will follow me. Jesus is sitting here, and he's charting a course. And you know, I don't know. He probably could have thought, I, maybe I should make. A, I wonder if ten thousand disciples would be enough. I don't know. Maybe I should shoot for a hundred thousand, and and then it's like, I think twelve will do it. I'm going to invest three years of my earthly ministry into just 12 men. The irony of that. I mean, does that make sense? If He's going to come and establish a kingdom that His heart is for discipleship to continue until He returns again, which it is, why would He just spend a large part of His time eating, sleeping, drinking, breathing, walking on the ship, on the land with 12 disciples. Just these 12. But what did He teach these 12? To go and make more. And we begin to see this exponential growth because have you ever taken the, done the thing where uh, like when I was 10 or 12, my dad said, okay Grant, here's a calendar. 30 days. Would you like me to pay you to rake leaves or something? Over the next month, twenty dollars or hundred dollars a day for the next month, or would you like to pay me uh, pay you a penny a day and double it each day? Well, <laughs> of course I picked the fifty or hundred dollars a day, <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever done the math or not. But 
If you take a penny a day for one month and you double it every day, so you have one penny, two pennies, four pennies, eight pennies, it takes a while, but it's called exponential growth. At the end of the month, I, don't, I forget the math. It's like, it's for sure millions, if not billions of dollars, okay? Or of whatever you're talking about. It's exponential growth. And so Jesus' heart was to take and, and, and put his influence into these 12 men who were then going to go to 12 more men, who were then going to go to 12 more, each of them, and we begin this exponential growth. That is a real disciple. One-on-one, faithfully, day by day. Anyway. Um, but what I wanted in that is that the most important, get this, if, I, if you forget everything else about this, I really want you to get this, okay? So, so you may need to write it down. But the most important resource, what do you think the most important resource is in the kingdom? Money. <laughs> Buildings. <laughs> Programs. Disciples. <laughs> it's men. It's people. Why do you think Jesus said, um, you're right, other than the king. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> the most important thing in the kingdom is the king, right? And, but as far as his resources, the king's resources, the most important thing, students, is people. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. Don't let me forget this, okay? (laughs) Laborers are so important. That is how God has chosen and ordained for the gospel to go forward. It is not through our programs and through our buildings and our amasses amounts of this, that, and the other. It is through real disciples. Um... I don't have time, but I was just going to detail that Jesus' ministry began with discipleship and it ended with discipleship. It began, he, he headed out and he started calling these disciples, right? They were with him all the way through. And then in the end, he commissioned them to go and do the same thing, right? Matthew 28, classic example. Um, so that was a little backdrop there. Now I'd like to <clears throat> share a few points with you, a little more concise. Number one is that real disciples... Again, we're, we're going to try to sketch this little profile here in the next few minutes of a real disciple. And real disciples, if you'll turn in your scriptures to John chapter 3, you'll find they're born of the water and of the Spirit. Or shortly, they're born again. And that may seem a little elementary. At a Bible school, I'm sure most of you would, would think, well, of course, we would assume that. <clears throat> but I want to point out something very clearly before we go on the next thing here. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus here, John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had another question. He said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so that's why I didn't just say born again, okay? 
Number one, a real disciple must be born of the water and of the Spirit. That's what the Scripture says. I don't know how to stand up here and explain it to you, okay? But I can tell you there's two things there. And I can't wait to hear what more we're going to hear about that this week. The Lord willing, I'm sure we'll hear more as we delve into this so much teaching on the Holy Spirit. And um, a real disciple will be born of the water and of the Spirit. Let me just let me say this once more so that you for sure track with me. I want to ask you this question. Is it possible in your mind, is it possible for someone to, out of peer pressure, let's say, say, yeah, I want to be baptized. And they go down and they're literally born of the water, right? They obey Christ, the Scriptures, and they're, they're baptized in the water. Now, just because that event happened and maybe the motives weren't even right in the moment, yes, it was an act of obedience in its literal form. But I don't know what all goes on in everyone's heart in that moment. But does that mean that the baptism of the Spirit happened there too? I want you to just consider that, okay? And I'm not the one to speak further on that. I just really am looking forward to the, to the week. So you consider that um, and just know that Jesus says we must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And that's what I do know. Secondly, go to John 18, verse 35. Jesus is standing before Pilate here, and there's quite a scene. Um, There's just no way I I can give much context or we'll run out of time here but Pilate so jumping in here um, Pilate and Jesus are having this discourse and and as we get to the end of of how Jesus is going to answer Pilate I want us to really consider this this is under the second point and it is called sold out to the cause a real disciple is sold out to the cause Pilate answered am I a Jew thine own nation And the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was was I born. And for this cause, Jesus says, came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I want this to be clear. A real disciple will be what? A follower of who? Jesus. Jesus. And if Jesus had a cause when He was here on earth, would it be worthy for us to have the same cause? The Scripture says that we're not greater than the Master as a disciple, right? 
but it's enough. It's reasonable, right? That we be as the master, right? Matthew chapter 10, you can read that. Jesus says, for this cause came I into the world to bear witness of the truth. That is a responsibility of a real disciple. Mark it down. If we had more time, I would like to ask you about some ways we can bear witness to the truth, but you can consider that. So what cause are, am I living for today? Have you considered that? What cause did you live for yesterday? How about earlier today? What cause were you living for? Your heart in there beating, your mind racing, your body moving. What are we doing with what God has given us today? What did we do last week with it? Are we ready to give an account? Are we sold out to the cause? Is our cause Christ's cause? What about next week? This week? Just want to uh, really consider that in our life today. 2 Timothy 4. If you want to go over there again. It's a lot of turning, I realize. But I want to take a little look at Paul's life and um, what he... What it looks like here is he is someone who I would consider was sold out to the cause. The scripture says, but watch watch thou, uh, Paul's talking to Timothy here, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof or potency of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered. He's towards the end of his life here, and the time of my departure is at hand. Listen to this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, Paul says. I have kept the faith. And I think that is a good picture of someone who lived sold out. You think about that. If Paul didn't live sold out to the cause of Christ, would have he been able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Do you think he would have been able to say that in good conscience? Could you say that if you hadn't been sold out to the cause? So it's a very worthy thing to consider. And I think that um, obviously we wanted to look at what Christ was sold out for and why He came. But let's look at, look at some people who did the same thing. It's doable in Christ's power. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Look at the confidence in that. Shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but who? Unto all at Bible School 2015, right? That love is appearing. Um, and if we skip to verse 10 there, I would just like to highlight that this is what happens when we're not sold out to the cause. And this must have been a, a terrible uh, situation for Paul to, to have to write about. But he says, For Demas, has, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Somehow Demas wasn't sold out to the cause, and he gave in, didn't he? He loved the present world more than the cause, which was what? To bear witness of the truth. Thirdly, 
A real disciple never turns back. Mark it down. As we finish this sketch of this profile, what's, what's a real disciple? What are just some defining marks of a real disciple? I'll tell you, a real disciple will never turn back. He's not interested in retreat. A real disciple doesn't want to flirt with the present world like Demas did. Why? Because he knows it will take him down. Right? We know it, don't we? Sometimes it's hard to make those choices, I understand. I can see... I don't know, maybe a gloomy day. I'm using my imagination here, but maybe kind of a gloomy, misty, foggy day and not really a good day to be out. But there's mobs of people and I can hear the scuffling feet and the impatience and and all of a sudden there's kind of this roar that goes through the crowd and people are on tippy toes and, you know, looking around, and here, here they come. It's a real disciple. And they're bringing him out with the intentions of killing him for being a real disciple. Remember, real disciples never turn back. And pretty soon this crowd starts to chant, Burn him! Burn him! And they're bringing wood and there's other people over here that, that are bringing other items and, and the crowd's pretty worked up and there may be five or 10,000 people here. I don't know. It's a big gathering place here in, in the area and this is what I picture. And then all of a sudden the crowd erupts in a roar because they're bringing out this big old brazen oven. They're not just going to burn this guy, this real disciple. They're going to actually cook him inside of this oven. Can you imagine that? Would you turn back? I mean, really. I, I don't know how to imagine that. Would you turn back? Or would you say, by God's grace, I'll be a real disciple. I'll never turn back. I don't want my Lord to have to turn His back on me. I'll never turn my back on Him. This was an upright man that I'm talking about, this real disciple, and a pious witness of the Son of God who, in proof of His faith, tasted death rather than dishonor His Savior by denying Him or otherwise. This happened in the lifetime of the Apostle John. Hence, he may be reckoned one of the first of those who suffered during the time of Domitian for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Of this hero and knight of God, the Lord Himself made mention to His servant John, yea, commanded him to write to the teacher at Pergamus concerning him, saying, to the angel of the church of Pergamus write, 
These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where in Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth, touching the time and manner of his death, there is nothing stated in holy writ. But some of the ancient writers maintain that he was enclosed in a red-hot brazen ox and thus burned alive with great pain, yet in steadfastness. As regards to the time when this happened, we ascertain from Holy Scripture that he was killed in the lifetime of John. There's some more details. This came out of the, the martyr's mirror. Antipas. He's in Scripture, isn't he? A faithful martyr. I think that's another good little part of this profile. We can look on and see another faithful man. He didn't turn back. Fourthly, and this will be quickly, it is hard to be a real disciple. Remember? It's easy to be a hypocrite, isn't it? It's hard to be a real disciple. Would you just turn to Hebrews 11? Could maybe call on some of you to quote it, but I won't. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, let's go there to verse 36. There's a quite a list from 32 to 36. I mean, it's quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. These men of faith, some of these men and women of faith, I tell you, it's just like God blazing a trail in front of them, and people have never seen anything like it happen before. I mean, victories and can you imagine? Yet in this same context, verse 36 and others. It's not all that glorious sometimes. That's what I want to point out here. It's hard to be a real disciple. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. If we get on this bandwagon of being a real disciple, it may look like this. They were sawn asunder. They were sawed in half. Are you ready to be sawed in half? They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and, and goatskins. Ladies, are you ready? If, if God is, is, is a real disciple, if God calls you to that, to wander about in sheepskins and goatskins. I mean, it's almost funny. It seems so abstract in our Western mind, but it's really not very far away. Are you ready to just wear what you have? I mean, it, it may be literally sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. We just read this story the other day with the, the children about uh, Claudine, I believe her name was, in the 1700s, if I remember correctly. And they put her on the rack and they tried to use her little infant child to 
It just tears me up every time I think about it. But she died strong in her faith. The same God that was able to re- keep her faithful and the same God that was able to, to take her out of the, the system that she was a part of that was a blasphemy to God and, and make her righteous and stand before Him like that is the same God that was able to go find her children wherever they went with the state and, and bring them to Him. We have to see it in a bigger picture. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us. This was talking about people who did this by faith before they knew anything about Jesus Christ. And here we are, God having provided some better thing for us. Why do we shrivel back? Why do I shrivel back at some of these things? And God has provided yet even a better thing for us, Jesus Christ, to found our faith upon. Um, so I just have to share that. As part of being a real disciple, it is hard. And fifth, and, and lastly, it's possible to become a real disciple today. It's possible to become a real disciple today. I'd like to just share some of my <laughs> my heart here and, and soon be done, but uh, I just wonder, you know, sometimes, and I don't want to share this in a negative context. Uh, but rather is a hopefully that incites within us a, a desire to rise up and be this. But I just wonder sometimes, you know, where are there still youth? You can answer the question with your life. Are there still youth today that actually are living on the face of the earth? And I know the answer is yes, but but it's a challenge that that can be like Elisha and grab up the mantle of Elijah and with a with a holy boldness that that Elisha just accepted from God and, and cry, where is the God of Elijah? And take the mantle and strike the river and it parts in two and we walk across. And, and, and I don't know, I wrestled through this thing. I mean, this is, this is pre-Jesus um, Christ coming and, and, and um, pre-the Holy Spirit and Acts coming. And yet we know that they were still alive, so I don't know how to wrestle through all this in my mind, but... But here was Elijah, and, and Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit, and he got it. And if you look at all the things that Elijah did, and then you just double it, that's the spirit of Elisha. Yet we have the Holy Spirit of promise, you and I. I mean, that should make parting rivers of Jordan like nothing. <laughs> Anyway, I just I have to share that. Um, I, I just believe that... I'll share this with you. Um, I was just visiting with my, my dad not very long ago, and he was telling me this story that just really had strengthened his faith. And he told me about a place where they were at in Asia a few months ago, and some lady, he said, oh, he, he was touched, he was crying as he told me the story. And he said, this lady came up to me and, and said... Um, 
Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm barren. I've wanted a child for years. And that's real for a woman. And for a man. <laughs> for a couple. And boy, he just wasn't sure what to do. He just prayed for her and kind of went on. He told Raymond Burkholder about it later. The brother that he serves with over there. And Raymond said, well, what would you do, brother? And he said, well, I prayed for her. And uh, he said, you know, I'd like to share with you a little faith-building story. He said, I had the same thing happen to me about three years ago, Raymond did. And he said, I just prayed over that woman that God would hear her and plant that seed in her womb. And I went on my way. And he said, a year later, I was back there doing a, a um, you know, it was at a one-year mark. They were back doing another uh, teaching school or something there. And he said, this little smiley little girl come up, or a uh, little lady came up there and he had this little bundle in her arms and and uh, <laughs> little three month old baby that's our God we have the Holy Spirit of promise and I would su- suggest it is more than the double portion of Elijah but are we willing to walk in it I <laughs> I'm not preaching to you here. I'm sorry. I'm preaching to myself. It's just really been good for me. I desire I think it's easy for us to to say, yeah, but you know, it's just different in our Western culture, isn't it? I mean, it, this isn't Bible times, right? It's different. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> is that better or worse? Do we have more of the Spirit or less of the Spirit available? Acts 2, verse 15. I'm going to read a few verses. I believe that we've sold ourselves short, starting with me, with a lot of walking, of, of what this looks like to truly walk in the Spirit and to be sold out, to never turn back, realize it's hard, but be willing to become one, a real disciple. I think that real disciples might look a little bit like this in New Testament age. There were some things going on. There was quite a ruckus going on. And there were some people blaming the Christians about all kinds of nonsense. Being drunk and things like that that Christians don't do. They were just reaching for some kind of an explanation, weren't they? And Peter just stood up and he said, no, no, no. Let me tell you what's going on. He says in verse 15, For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. He appealed to their logic a little bit. Then he tells them what it is. He says, but this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit and they shall prophesy. 
I would like to suggest that that can continue on until the Lord returns. Your life can be a manifestation and a fulfillment of the prophecy of the prophet Joel. Because we're living in the last times, aren't we? And it started here, and I don't have never found anywhere where it ought to quit. Just my humble opinion on that. Observation, maybe I should say. And lastly, um, that was the last point, I'm sorry. But just in closing, I would like to come back and remind us that if tonight we're dealing with some sort of a false identity or false virtue that we're trying to put up and not be real about with something in our heart, you know what it is if it's there. That we're flirting with the damnation of hell. I'd like to make another observation that why we can't see God for who He is and why we can't engage in this spirit life so many times is because we're full of dead men's bones. Yeah, we may look like that whited sepulcher, but inside, we've got some dead men's bones scattered around, a little bit of extortion scattered on it, some excess, some fill-in-the-blank, things that are unwholesome, things that stink, things that need to be cleaned out. And I would suggest further that there's very few things that I know of that will hamper or hinder or, yea, squelch the work of God in our lives more than a few dead men's bones and a little extortion, a little excess, impurities, things that don't belong inside the body of a believer who the Holy Spirit wants to indwell and empower to be a real disciple.